Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz guitarist and singer Todd Clauser. Talking to Neon Jazz from his home of Mexico City, Mexico, this Minneapolis native is living the music dream. He just released 2016's Psych Monte with his band called A Love Electric on the cool Royal Potato Family label. He grew up digging Jimi Hendrix, The Grateful Dead, and that 1970s rock era. His band has gotten praise from critics and fans of rock, jazz, and experimental music. They're all mixed up in there. He spoke about his career, the band, and many more things. So, please dig this interview, my friends. Hey, Todd, thank you for taking some time to uh, speak with us here at Neon Jazz from beautiful Mexico. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Happy to, happy to be here. Right on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and start off here. I know I love Electric. You have your new 2016 album, Psych Monday. Give me an idea of what's going on with you and the band lately. Just kind of a snapshot in your own words. We were touring a lot. Yeah, we have this new record called Psych Monday. It's not on Rope It Open. It's kind of a big rock record. There's still some jazz in there. But yeah, we're, we're touring a lot. We just We do these kind of wild sort of touristic community-based tours. We just did one through Central America, from Costa Rica up to kind of northern Mexico, uh, all by land. So we work with communities and we do, uh, and we obviously play concerts. So, yeah, a lot of time on the road. Why are you in Mexico? I'm curious. What what kind of brought this about? Before I get kind of the alpha of your life, I'm curious in the hyper-present why you're in Mexico. Why is that home base? Really for this band. I met these two guys. They're non-hitched. is a drummer and our own crew is the bass player in this band, Love Electric. And I met them some years ago and started this band and it, it just it started to work and it's kind of what I always wanted to do. So um, it just became the place for me to be. But yeah, some years ago I just I wanted a big change. I'm from Minneapolis and I got a teaching job, a uh, music teaching job in, the, in the Baja, in Los Cabos. And there's a jazz club there, and I was playing almost nightly, and I was teaching the day. And um, that's what originally brought me to Mexico, and then I started to meet people and meet other musicians. So let me ask you about growing up in Minneapolis. What was it about your childhood that kind of fostered this love of jazz that you've accumulated? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, I have music-loving parents. I don't uh, I don't come from a family of musicians, but uh, I grew up playing lots of, Kind of funk and soul music, Motown music. My mom's a big Motown fan. Uh, I kind of, yeah, I just, I fell in love with music in general at a, at a kind of very young age. And then I was able, my dad would take me to a lot of concerts and we'd go to, um, like I remember going to Booker T shows. And I don't know, I just, I started to kind of investigate a little bit about, you know, music for myself. And once I discovered kind of the world of improvisation, I actually found, I discovered through rock, kind of a lot of us, I think, I, discovered through Jimi Hendrix and Grateful Dead and these sorts of bands that started to yeah, look into jazz, improvisation, and, and then heavier into jazz music. So I guess this next question is probably going to be answered pretty quick. Why Was it because of Hendrix and Garcia that you picked the guitar? I think so. I think before, I, I had the guitar before I listened to them, but you know, like, I mean, I was I grew up in the 90s in the U.S. <laughs> you know, it's like there was MTV and the guitar was cool and, and all yeah. that. The first time I held a guitar and I had a uh, my, my dad bought me an electric guitar, and I I could just make noise on it. I was very, I think, pretty timid, and like all of us would go through a lot of things growing up. Uh, the guitar really gave me a way to express myself and express. You know, I feel like it, at first it was frustration that came out. You know, that that I was able to express. There's still a lot of frustration I think comes out, but the guitar gave me a voice and and, and something to express that uh, the depth, the, the heaviness, what I was feeling. 
give me an idea growing up with the music and the albums you listened to. What music or album really swayed you and got you kind of poked into the, the music serum, so to speak? Yeah, there's, well, there's a lot. I mean, I think definitely, we mentioned Hendrix, End of Gypsies, uh, Hendrix album, and in that sort of, um, yeah, that, that's a big, that's a big record for me, live Hendrix stuff, and, um, then I guess in jazz, once I started to get heavier into jazz, Monk records, I mean, Straight No Chaser is one that I had it on vinyl, you know, like LP, and I remember listening to Straight No Chaser for the first time and like being able to sing the melodies right away, and I really fell in love with that. Jazz, that part of monk and jazz. A lot of when I was studying jazz, I didn't love honestly. I didn't love a lot of tunes that you're supposed to study at first, all the things you are and these sorts of things. But then once I found monk, uh, specifically that record, Straight No Chaser, it was like, oh, I can sing these tunes. I love the tunes. They're kind of repeat bad, but there's like a there's a twist to them and something, a personality that I really um, that I really fell in love with. So. Yeah, those would be a, a couple of big records, and then you know I start at least some ECM records. Outside of jazz, with some Brian Eno records, the street music record uh, was a big one for me. Um, so a lot of all over the place, I think. <laughs> right on. So let me get an idea of your education. When you got out of high school, did you go to college, or what was your educational journey after that? I did. I kind of uh, ran around for a couple of years. I played in bands and kind of was in of Vans for a couple of years, and then I ended up at Berkeley in, in Boston. So in a formal educational environment, what did they teach you? What did you learn? And I mean, obviously the classroom is the world, especially as Phil Woods always talked about, but what in the classroom did you get from your music that helped you so much today? Well, that's a good, I mean, that's a really good question. It's interesting. It's always kind of, you know, hard to know and hard to balance like artistic inspiration versus formal training and what's um, where where you find your artistic voice versus that. But I think, you know, looking back, I think studying there at Berkeley gave me a lot of tools that have been very useful to me, just music notation, you know, writing charts, arranging, you know, being able to get more of the stuff that I was hearing onto the page and be able to, being able to communicate that with other musicians has been something that's been invaluable to me, especially now being in different spots in the world, different languages, all this sort of stuff. So I think that was a lot of it, and a lot of you know, a lot of harmony, a lot of these concepts I really liked. You know, I was I was still at that point, I was very timid and socially uh, more socially awkward than I am now. I think, but I wasn't like a big networker in college. A lot of people use that at Berkeley for that sort of thing. But I was really there to kind of, think, kind of absorb and. A lot of the, uh, get a lot of these tools that then I was I was going to need. And then, you know, as you as you say, I mean, when I left college, I don't think I was. I definitely wasn't ready to go out and play and be sharing my music. I did it anyway, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't. You know, I, I mean, I've learned out playing is what I've done. I've learned out playing playing with other musicians, and uh, you know, there were some years where I was I was playing pretty much daily, playing gigs daily. So. So you've already mentioned Jimi Hendrix. You mentioned the Grateful Dead. And it's very clear in your biography that the 70s rock era was a big deal. You know, I, I'm a product of probably the same time period as you have grown up with music. But I'm curious, why did you lean so much on the 70s rock kind of in the way that you approach music? You know, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I mean, there was something that was attractive to me. And I think also, you know, there was a... There was a some sort of, although I was, you know, I was born in 81, so I wasn't, 
around the sort of time. But I, there was some sort of there's a social context and this sort of spirit to some of that music that um, felt like it was more important than just the music or the image or these sorts of things, you know. Uh, it felt like there was something to be said and there was this sort of communal aspect, this sort of like mobilizing spirit to, to that music that was really attractive to me. You know, the same that I could find in lots of some early jazz or um, blues, Delta blues music, you know, there was a, uh, it felt, it felt real, like it was about, about something, yeah, something real, something, something really, really human, you know, and I was, I didn't necessarily find that, it's a lot of, what might be on the radio uh, in the 90s and that sort of stuff, so I, I had to, I had to search a little more. <laughs> right on, man. Um, so I'm curious, I want to kind of go back to where you're living now in Mexico. What's the big difference between America and what's going on there? And I mean more specifically, I always hear, especially with jazz, when you go outside of America and you go to a different culture, there's a level of embracing that's a lot different than the America that we're in. What is that like? I mean, I think that's true in general, and I don't know why. I don't know why it is. I mean, I think about it all the time, and I live it, and I experience it. You know, when we go back and play in the U.S., um, you know. But the, there is—I don't know if it's just a fascination, or um, I don't know. People are more interested in in jazz and in improvised, or at least music that kind of lean on improvisation and use elements of that sort of like exploration and these sorts of. Um, Experimentation. I think those are, you know, people are more interested in that outside of the U.S. And I, I, I honestly, I don't know why that is, but I, I can say definitely in Mexico. First time that I played in Mexico City, we played at the Zinco Jazz Club, a cool jazz club in, in downtown Mexico City. It's in this basement, so bank. They have like these big vault doors, and this cool like you know jazzy vibe. And uh, and the first time I played there, I was I, I couldn't believe it because I've been playing jazz gigs in the U.S. for a long time and other types of gigs too, but specifically in jazz gigs when I was used to kind of sort of lukewarm reception or just sort of kind of stiff sort of thing. And at Zinco, at this Mexico City gig, people were, you know, people were like yelling you know, in between songs or like multiple encores. There was this real warm sort of spirit where, again, it felt like something more important than just like going out and seeing the show and that was it. And I was like, there was a real communal sort of spirit there. And I was like, well, you know, I fell in love with that immediately. And I was like, that's the dream for me. And I was being able to share music that, that people really get you know, excited and embrace it. So, yeah, I, I honestly, I wish I had a more concrete answer on why it is in the U.S. Uh, that there is less interest in, in jazz or these different kinds of music. But. No, that's a good answer, man. In fact, what I, I kind of want to tap more into that communal environment that you're talking about. You're on the uh, Royal Potato family label, and there's a lot of heavy hitters on there. you got Jacob Fred, you got Allison Miller. What is it like to be on that label with such creative forces? Well, it's great. You know, there's a guy there, Kevin Calibro, who runs the label, and he's just a real, you know, he's an amazing guy. I mean, he he loves music, and that's what it takes now, I think, for anybody running a label or anything in music. Now, there's, you know, there's unless it's really commercial music, there's no reason to do music anymore unless you love it. You know, you have to love it because it's not a big money maker. It's not, you're not going to get famous or whatever. I don't know. Whatever you're looking for except for music, you're not, you're generally not going to find it. So Kevin, you know, Kevin's amazing. He loves music. He's, he's liked something, what I did. And I, I think he likes to, you know, I'm committed to just being out doing it and we share that love for music. So it's, it's amazing what he's done with that. He's a girl and there's new artists, you know, in jazz and singer songwriter. And, and I love that he embraces all these different genres and, yeah, it's cool. It's great to be a part of. 
you know, you're in Mexico, you're from the United States, you've traveled Central America, Western Europe, Argentina, Peru. What does travel do to you? How does it affect the way that you write music, make music, and deliver it as you get wiser and more journeyed on your music, John? Yeah, well, I think it, it's definitely, it's just that it's having your perspectives um, challenged, you know, and then, and then open, you know, if you're willing to, to sort of negotiate with, with yourself <laughs> what you've learned and then what you're serving and, and kind of open up a little bit. I've had incredible, you know, experiences. I mean, I'd, you mentioned Peru. We were in Peru and I, some, some of these times, you know, we'd uh, like, take a few days after the tour and I went to this, uh, this village. I just found these, <laughs> I went to this village in the, in the Amazon in, in Peru and I lived there for a few days. And I mean, these sorts of experiences, you know, like in this village, there was, one day there was, there was nothing to eat. There was no food. It's a, it's a a sad aside, but it's like to have that kind of experience, it's just like the humanity starts to, um, I don't know, I think you get, you know, softened a little bit, or you come back to your 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 heart and how we're connected as humans and, and sort of altruism in a sense. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know, I mean, it's been an amazing experience for me, and I've found that even though we've done like festivals and some things that I always dreamed of, played with people that I always dreamed of growing up, some of these experiences, the human experiences with, with different communities, different cultures has really been what's the most rewarding and I think memorable to be in these years that have been for and travel. Right on. So as you're obviously a solo performer, but you're you're with the Love Electric. Give me an idea of how this band came together and kind of your evolutionary history into today. Yeah, well, we did. I mean, when I... I moved to Mexico when I moved to Los Cal like the South Baja um in Mexico. I was kind of I was really tired of like performing, you know, I was it's a classic story. I was I was yeah. being on the road, I was tired of playing all these gigs, I was tired of being in bars, I was I was health wise and, and so on. I was just I was not in a good spot. So I got to Mexico and I started teaching and working with the kids really helped me sort of uh, as you rediscovered why I was making music, what was special about music, um, and I, I started, I started to kind of get my bearings again. I think, you know, find some hope again. And I met this drummer. I started to tour a little bit in Mexico on my projects, some small things. And then I, I met this drummer, Hernan Hedge. She's an amazing drummer, also an amazing guy. He's from Argentina, but's been in Mexico for like 20 years now. Yeah, he has a, a very smart guy, really beautiful person, amazing artist and musician, and we started to just work together. Not only play together, but work and talk, and he helped me through some things, and then we started, you know, started making music, and, and the music coming from that sort of relationship uh, of friendship, and, and, and not just, like, let's make a band, you know, really, I think, brought me back to a place where I could, um, I felt like I needed to share this music, and I could trust people that band with. But yeah, we started and we started playing only instrumental music. Now I'm, I'm using the voice now, so it falls a little more into rock categories and some music I grew, uh, I grew up listening to. Yeah, it's been a really cool experience for me. And, and as you said, yeah, there is more rock leanings, but it's a real mix of jazz and rock and experimental. Do you think in your approach with this band that you're pushing jazz the way Miles did? You know, we went, he went from straight ahead to electric and never really liked the term jazz, but there was always this bend for him to kind of further the craft. Do you feel like that's kind of your goal, or do you feel like you're just 
amalgamating all these music loves into one thing that you dig. Yeah, I mean, maybe more the second. I mean, it's definitely not, I mean, maybe where I'm at in music, as a musician, I'm, I'm not, not trying to make a, a statement as much as it is realizing that we just have to honor ourselves and, and the music that we want to make, you know. I mean, it, you know, this starting to use a voice again and, and it sort of begins by, about they naturally were backstage at this show in Spain and I respect they're singing songs and a bass player, our own crew, looked at me and said, man, we should do that. Okay, you know, and then you do this, this kind of this battle and you were like, wait, we're, we're a jazz band and we're playing at a jazz festival and I allowed to sing a song. And then it's like, man, yeah, that's, that's what we need to do. You know, we need to make this, make this music and share this music and it's part of the voice of the band uh, that we have to share. So you kind of have to stop worrying about where it falls genre-wise, although it definitely does present some difficulties of like where where you fit, you know, in terms of booking stuff. But whatever, you kind of leave that by the wayside and just make the music that you have to make. Absolutely. So I'm going to kind of segue into kind of the teaching angle of things here. And my first question is you, you went to Berkeley, one of the top music schools, not only in the country but in the world. What teacher's advice still kind of goes around in your head that you think on a regular basis and kind of is helpful to you? You know, a lot of it, I mean, I had, I definitely had great teachers at school, but I, I think, uh, you know, at that point, I, w- I think I was really just testing different concepts and different tools, you know. Then a, a guy that definitely, uh, one of the first kind of heroes I was able to play with uh, was Stephen Bernstein, the player and Sex Mob and Levi on Helm too and uh, Lounge Lizards, you know, all these amazing bands. And he, being able to be around Steven and also his personality, the way that he kind of grows out these <laughs> wise uh, just one-liners. I, I took a ton from from Steven Bergstein. You know, he'd say he'd say stuff to me like, you know, never play too much. I was like, okay, that seems very simple. But that's very heavy, man, you know? And, like, it, he was saying it in reference to how long the set is, you know, but it could be a solo or it could be anything. It could be in, in composition. Um, and then just things that he would tell me not to do on the guitar, too. He's like, don't do that funky thing. You know, it's like this kind of cliche funk uh, <laughs> thing that a lot of guitarists do with a nine chord, you know? And then I was like, okay, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, yeah, playing with, with, with Bernstein, I learned a ton because he's not afraid to just kind of, uh, in a loving way, tell you what you think and, and what might help you. Right on. What is your philosophy as a teacher? How do you approach your students? What I try to do, and I think my role as a, as a musician, what, where my talent might lie, is, is trying to inspire someone to really embrace their voice you know, and find what they have to express. And then the technical stuff uh, leads to somebody who's um, you know, more, more rigid and more kind of disciplined in that, in that side of things. So I, I really... Uh, try to find who the, the person is, who the student is, and, and what they might have have to say. You know, give them some tools and give them some inspiration and some context. You know, so much of now when we study music, I think it's like it is about tools and it's about technique, and which is is fine and necessary. But it's like, what what are we going to use that for? What are we gonna, are we going to say with our music, or what what effect do we hope to have? You know, are we we're trying to better people's lives, bring people together, or are we just trying to get uh, is it cathartic for us? You know, these all these different intentions with why we make music are all valid and great. You know, but, but I think if we have that a little more clear in our head, it allows us to um, to approach it, you know, with more clarity. So you've mentioned a lot of musicians that have swayed you: the Monk, Hendrix, the Grateful Dead. 
if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see a gig from an act, where would you go and who would you see? You know, it'd probably be, uh, I, I think the Thelonious Monk would be, uh, I mean, that would be the dream to watch watch Monk play. Maybe Monk solo piano, uh, above all, you know, would be, uh, be an absolute dream. You know, I think also uh, uh, like a, an early Bob Dylan gig would be amazing. Or like Rolling Thunder review Bob Dylan gig would be that would be that would be heavy. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you love all kinds of different music, and uh, but, but since we're a jazz show, I want to ask you this more specifically: Why do you love jazz? Why did it hook you, and why has that been a part of what you do? I think when I I discovered jazz. For me, it's, it's music in general and where I started as a musician was, is all about expression, you know, being able to express myself. You know? And in jazz, there's a, there's a depth and a wealth of, of concepts and tools like not, that I didn't find in any other genre, you know, that need more colors to, to express more feelings, you know, that I, that I had, more, uh, more perspective, you know. But so there's like a completeness jazz that I didn't find any other you know, genre or kind of world of music. Um, you know, and, the, and just the, the spirit of jazz to, to explore, the, you know, this is, that's a, it's very human. It's very, that's a, something that I think, you know, we maybe have forgotten a lot of. You know, to, to explore and experiment and go, go as far as we can. It's, it's a, that's, jazz can, it's, it's very beautiful and very human that way. So you performed in a lot of places all over, all over the world. What has been one of the nicest things that either a fan or a fellow musician has said to you? I don't, we've had a couple people cry, which sounds terrible, but that's like a very. I mean, I've had that experience listening to music, so uh, that's a good one. There was actually something recent, something in Germany, and it typically the German people. I love playing in Germany, and it's amazing, but they're very. Uh, uh, I'm generalizing about a culture here. You know, people, it often happens there where people are very literal in how they tell you they experience music. You know, so sometimes they can be like, "Yeah, I liked it better when you played something like or whatever." You know, it can be very. There was a, a German guy this this recent tour that uh, he's like, "Man, I think I felt a tear during that song." Very like deadpan with me, told me that. And, and I could tell it really affected him, and that he had to tell me that. You know, he came up to me after he had to tell me that. I could feel that he had some sort of experience that seems to me that uh, he hadn't had elsewhere. And that's just, you know, that's, I think, the, all we can ask for. And I know how that feels, you know. Um, and that's why I started to play music. So to be able to be on the other side of it is really a, a thrill, yeah. So let me ask you this. Everybody has their perception of who you are, your family, your friends, those that are in the crowd, the business people. But personally, when you wake up and you think about what makes you motivated and, and, and makes you go, who do you think you are? Oh, that's a really, that's, that's, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think with music, I, it's like um, an obsession, but it's something I, I like, I can't stop doing that I just need to do. So in terms of motivation, uh, uh, with music, it's just some—it's something that I do. Even when I try not to, honestly, when I don't bring a guitar, when I try to take a vacation for a few days, I end up writing something, doing doing something. Um, so there's something about it. I don't know that I—I'm I, just 
you know, like when you're in love with somebody, you can't help it. I'm just in love with. It. I keep, I keep doing it. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think every year goes by, I get a, a little more clarity on maybe where what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, sure. Of it really for me is just right now based on kind of impulse and what intrigues me. You know, uh, if I want to make more rock record or something that's jazz, or we want to try to tour in such and such part of the world, you know. Um, a lot of it's really just impulsive. It's a great way to live. Hey, thank you for taking some time out for me today, man. I appreciate it. It's been great to get your story, and I, I love your music, so I appreciate your time. Oh, thanks a lot for thinking of me, man, and thanks for having me. I'm happy to be part of your show. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, Mexico, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Todd for his time, his music, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.